what I want you to do. I want each of you to step forward and take one of these Borders bags, which contain the four books we're gonna read this semester. All right. They're very special books, and they each remind me in some way of each of you. But before you take the books, I want you to take one of these glasses of sparkling cider, and I want each of you to make a toast. We're each gonna make a toast for change. And what that means is, from this moment on, every voice that told you you can't is silenced. Every reason that tells you things will never change disappears. And the person you were before this moment, that person's turn is over. Now it's your turn. Okay? Okay. You ready to get this party going on? Man, I've had boyfriends since I was like 11, you know? I believe person I was going to get pregnant before I turned 16 and drop out. Like my mom. Ain't gonna happen. Nobody ever listens to a teenager. Everybody thinks you should be happy just because you're young. And they don't see the wars that we fight every single day. And one day my war will end. And I will not die. And I will not tolerate abuse from anyone. <laughs> I am strong. My mom's kicked me out when I got jumped into the gang life. But I'd like her to see me graduate. I'd like to be 18. Miss G, carry something from my diary? That'd be great. What's his name? I don't know. The summer was the worst summer in my short 14 years of life. It all started with a phone call. My mother was crying and begging, asking for more time, as if she were gasping for her last breath of air. She held me as tight as she could and cried. Her tears hit my shirt like bullets. And told me we were being evicted. She kept apologizing to me. I thought I have no home. I should have asked for something less expensive at Christmas. On the morning of the eviction, a hard knock on the door woke me up. The sheriff was there to do his job. I looked up by the sky, waiting for something to happen. My mother has no family to lean on, no money coming in. Why bother coming to school or getting good grades if I'm homeless? The bus stops in front of the school. I feel like throwing up. I'm wearing clothes from last year. Some old shoes and all new haircut. I kept thinking I'd get laughed at. Instead, I'm greeted by a couple of friends who were in my English class last year. And it hits me, Mrs. Gurwa. 
my crazy English teacher from last year is the only person that made me think of hope. Talking with friends about last year's English and our trips, I began to feel better. I received my schedule and the first teacher is Mrs. Gerwan, room 203. I walk into the room and feel as though all the problems in life are not so important anymore. I am home. There was a lot going on in that scene that There's so much happening in the sense of human relationship and human dynamic that I said today that I would like to point this out, particularly message is in line with what Pastor has been teaching in the Grounded series. All called to serve. And what I wanted you to notice, and I'll point out just a few things. Number one, teacher was purposeful in using the platform that she had as a teacher to speak into the life of the students. Another thing that stood out to me was how she used something acceptance. Acceptance. She embraced these students right where they were. Gang life, home abuse. It didn't matter what they came into a class with. All of them were made to feel because this teacher was purposeful in using the platform. She wanted to understand it didn't matter how difficult the circumstances that life had dealt them or what poor choices they made, they did not define their future by what they did. Another thing that stood word hope. She inspired these students to imagine themselves beyond their circumstances. This was particularly evident to me in the young man's words when he asked to read from his journal. He said a number of things, but one thing that stood out to me is when he said, I looked up at the sky Let me make sure I'm turning this other mic off. He said, I looked up at the sky waiting for something to happen. Then it hit me. Mrs. G, Mrs. Grimwell, my crazy English teacher, was the only person that made me think of hope. For a few moments today, I want to suggest that what we saw in this scene is an example of what it looks like to serve, or as Jesus said in Matthew 5, to let your light shine. There are two things I want to point out today, two quick things. And the first is that all of us need to recognize that serving people is Christ-like. Serving people is Christ-like. Jesus said a number of things in Matthew 5, and I want to be clear. I have no idea whether this teacher knew Christ. But what I do know is how she loved and served was Christ-like. You see, she was acting in a way that God wants the body of Christ to act when they engage and encounter with people. That there is a mindset that she brought to her classroom that made her students feel welcome. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 5. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. 
but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In John 8, he said, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The question that comes to my mind when I read those two texts is, is Jesus the light of the world or are we his followers the light? The answer is both. But like the moon reflects the light of the sun, you and I as Christ followers should be reflecting the light of God's presence. We aren't the source of light, but we should be the reflection of light. So for those of us in relationship with Christ, people encountering us should be able to see the reality of God's presence at work in our life. The question we have to ask is why? Why does God want people to see his light through us? Because light helps people see. In verse 15, it says, it gives light to all who are in the house. That word light comes from the Greek word phos, which means to shine or to make manifest. Now, I suspect that everybody in this room have walked through a dark room at some place that they were familiar with, even though I was familiar with the space and ran into something even though I was familiar with the space. Some of us have walked through and hit our toes and used words that it's not appropriate for us to repeat right now. Even though I was familiar with the space, the question that I would ask is why? Because we couldn't see. Light has an impact on the environment that it's in, and that is why God is calling you and I to be light. Light affects the surrounding that it's in. It dispels darkness. It makes sure people can see. So look at verse 16 again. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The implication in that text is that you can't be light in isolation. In other words, I don't get to be light apart from relationships. I don't get to be light in the life of other people without being in relationship with people. I don't get to do it on an island. Now, why am I emphatic about that? Because sometimes some of us like to operate our faith as if once I know the Lord, that's all that matters. And I would argue as critical as it is for me to come to know the Lord, God wants to be able to use our lives. We just got through singing a song, I give my life away. It sounds good in the song, but in reality, is that really true? Well, it's true when I understand that that's what I'm made for. God wants to use my life in the life of other people. And I'm telling you today, even though the topic is serving, serving people can take on many forms. But what's clear from the text is that serving people has the potential to make God known. People get to see God through you and I based on the being in relationship with you and I because they see us engage with them in a way that speaks to the reality of God's presence, which is the second thing I want you to see. You need to recognize that serving people reveals God. Serving people. Serving or your good works, as the text says, can literally bring glory to God. 
Beloved, it's possible to serve God in, in seemingly insignificant ways, stuff that we wouldn't think was really that meaningful. Let me just suggest, even though I know I don't know the reality, but let me just suggest that that teacher in that scene had a relationship with Christ. She was teaching English, but that's not what was taking place in that scene. She was not teaching English. She was teaching life. She was speaking into the life of students who came from a variety of backgrounds, overcoming significant obstacles, and she was loving them right where they were. But she was making it clear to them that they didn't have to stay in that space. Serving people. That's what it looks like in the sense of being available to God. But I want to also say that sometimes we can undervalue how God uses us. For example, you could be the person out there on Saturday mornings, and I don't know that the time is accurately right, so I'm going to be up front. I don't know if we do food on Saturday mornings, but I believe we do. But you can be the person out there on Saturday mornings or the person on Friday afternoons that have come in here and labored to pack bags or boxes of food for people who happen to be in a situation in life where they need additional assistance. Has anybody ever been in a position where they needed assistance other than me? Has anybody's family ever been in a space where they needed God to show up through somebody else in a practical way that met a need? Well, let me tell you what else needs to be added to that. You see, it's one thing to pack a bag or a box, and both of those are important. It's another thing to stick one in a car, and that is important. But I'm telling you, we need to make people feel valued, and we need to make people feel welcomed right where they are. We need to remember that the only difference between us in this moment and them is the grace of God. I'm not in this position I'm in because I'm so smart or I've done something so right. I'm in a position that I may not have food security today because God has been merciful to me. But I've been in a position where I've had food insecurity. I remember what it was like to be in college and be dirt poor. I was dirt poor in college. I went to Morgan State one time. All I had was a bag of potatoes. You ever tried eating potatoes every day? Man, nothing gets worse than eating potatoes every day. My roommate and I went a whole week on nothing but potatoes. We ain't had nothing else to add to it. Neither one of us wanted to call home, you know, a little pride working, and we was going to make it work. And man, I ate potatoes every way I knew how to make them. I, man, the Lord know I would have been happy to have some bacon during that time. I didn't know about food pantries then. I didn't know Jesus, but I'm saying that to say there are some people out there that have legitimate needs in their life. And some of the things that we do that seem insignificant, God uses to make himself known, particularly when we do it in a way that represents the light of his presence. You know, we can be Christ followers even though the spirit of God lives in us. And we can still operate in a way that actually masks his presence. Now, I know none of y'all do that out there, but there are some places that Christ followers operate in a way that they distract people from believing God is real. But the picture that God wants you and us to see, or what I was really wanting to point out in this, is that when we serve him and people see the light of his presence, it has an impact on their lives. Mrs. G changed how these students saw themselves, which resulted in changed living. If there's one thing God wants from each of us is to be available to him to change another person's life. 
Every one of us here, everybody under the sound of my voice is in this room or watching by remote because somebody else helped us discover God's love. We didn't wake up one day and just know God loves us. Somebody had to be the vehicle by which God could make himself known to us and he attracted us to himself. God uses people. God uses people still. What I want you to see today is that this whole picture of what it looks like to be light is for a purpose, and that purpose is that God would be able to attract people to himself. Now, some of you, I would imagine, uh, like me, you out there worried that you don't bring much to the table or what you bring is not beneficial to God. I want to argue today that the most important ability that God is looking for is availability. That the most important thing you and I bring to the table when we come into relationship with God is availability. It's not that I come so gifted, so smart, or so anything else that we can fill in the blank with. Everything we have and everything that we are originates with God. Think about it. Let me be personal for a minute. I'm five foot nine inches. I've been complaining about that for decades. Why couldn't a brother get to six feet? And then the Lord blessed me with two sons over six feet. And I like, and I, yeah, I gotta rub, you got to rub this in now, right? Why couldn't they be five five? Since I only got the five nine. Because I didn't have no say in my stature. I'm looking around the room and there are a number of men that are, um, how should I say it respectfully, uh, challenge with hair follicles. They, they, have, they had a shift that took place in their life. I, I liked it when I had waves, right? right? I'd be up here looking at the brother leading worship every week, coveting. Man, man, that stuff is working. That brother keep his stuff fresh, right? So, Lord, what happened to me? Why, Lord, why? What, what? Was I too vain? What was it? I don't know. I don't know because I don't have no say in it. This is all I'm going after. I didn't have no say in my hair. I don't have no say in my stature. And Lord, no, I don't have no say in my complexion. Everybody in my house is darker than me but one sister. So you know what you get called when you're the light-skinned one, right? Talking to the light-skinned people in the room. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? Everybody calling you stuff that, you know, none of us want to be associated with them. No, that's, I'm Puerto Rican. I'm Dominican. I'm everything but that over there, right? All of the things that I had no say in, that's the only reason I go into that, because we have no say in our gifts, in our stature, in our ability. God may have built us a certain way for his glory, but he wants to use it to make himself known. And he makes himself known through our life when we are available to serve people. It is, it's not just because of me. From the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry, this is what Jesus was telling people. Follow me. In Mark 1, this is what the Bible says. Jesus called out to them. Come, follow me. And I will show you how to fish for people. I don't want you to miss this. Because it's hard to follow Jesus and do my own thing. Now, I know nobody in this room is like I was when I was a young Christ follower, right? God, I hear you, but I don't hear you with that. 
I vividly remember being on the lake. I was down on the Lake Michigan, right? I'm from Chicago. I had a spot in front of the lake that I would go to pray, right? This is godly activity. I'm going to talk to God. And I would sit in front of the lake, right there in front of the planetarium, talking to Jesus. And one day, the Spirit of God, and he don't talk to me like this all the time, said, go say X, Y, Z to these young adults who had just got out their car. They got out their car with a six or a 12 pack of beer. They didn't see me sitting in my car because I was just sitting there praying. And I began to have a debate with God. God said, go say X, Y, Z. I said, I ain't doing that. That ain't God. And the spirit of the God kept troubling me. Go say this. Go say this. So as I was sitting in my car debating God, I was like, okay, God, okay. It don't make no sense to me. Well, I'm going to go say this. I'm just going to walk up to a group of folks and say, God told me to tell you this. But the Spirit of God didn't let me go. And so I sat in my car having this debate, and then I finally said, okay, God, it don't really matter. God had to get me to the place where I was open to looking silly to be resolved to honor him. And so I got out my car, and I walked up to them and said, and they thought I was the police, right? Because I'm getting out the car, and they was like, oh, well, we trying to hide their stuff. And I said, man, I'm not here for that. I said, this may not make sense to y'all. It was about four of them. But I'm sitting in my car praying, and God just told me to come up here and say X, Y, Z. And I thought they was going to be like, and one of the young men said, that's for me. That's for me. My aunt has been telling me the same thing. That's for me. And so I began to go in with him right then. Boom, I began to talk. Man, God's trying to get your attention for something. Yada, yada, yada. Me and him walked out, and I was just really ministering to him in the Lord. But I was not going to get out my car because I didn't understand what God was up to. For that moment, I was not available to God. And I use that illustration because God used that to teach me, you don't know everything I'm up to. You don't know everything I'm up to. What you need to do is do what I told you to do. And so I got out the car and I said, and I got to talk to that young man. And then I got in the car and I began to weep. Because I was like, my God, why am I struggling with doing what I know you told me to do? But I want you to know as good news for me in the Bible, I ain't the only one that struggled with things God told him to do. The prophet Jonah heard God clear as day. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and God said, I ain't doing, Jonah said, I ain't doing that. Jonah was like, "Mm -mm, I hear you. You know how some of us are, I hear you, but talk to the hand. That ain't happening. I ain't going to Nineveh. I got problems with the Ninevites. Jonah really did have issue with the Ninevites, and some of us would argue that that would legitimize it. So for some of us in this historically black church, that would be like God telling us to go to Mississippi and share him with the grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. You're like, oh, man, you're crazy. No. But the truth is, the same way God wanted Jonah to respond to the truth of his word is the same way he wants us. If God should choose to send us to the worst enemy of our human existence, should he not be available to use us? I'm telling y'all, I had to wrestle with that thing and I'm believing that I'm not the only person. See, God calls people to do stuff that they're not always comfortable with or they're almost familiar with it. Because God is in the business of using people to fish for men. Look at the second half of verse 17. He said, I will show you how to fish for people. 
was he showing how to fish for people? He was showing the disciples, the people that he had called to be in relationship. Now, don't let me, don't, don't, don't get confused by me using this word disciple. I know you hear them talking about discipleship. Let me be simple and clear. Everyone that has been called into relationship with Jesus Christ is and a disciple. Everybody. The only variable is are they purposefully trying to grow in him and are they purposely available to him? But you are whether you know it or not. And so Jesus is saying, I want to teach you how to fish for people, but what's important here for you to understand, I need you to follow me. You have to follow to do it. And as Jonah shows us in the Old Testament and other examples, we don't always do that. I think sometimes for some of us, and I could speak to myself as a young believer, we get distracted instead of trying to fish for people, we get in the business of trying to fix people. You know what I'm saying? You grew up out there, you know, whatever your situation was like, you know, whatever you was like, whatever you was doing in your day, whatever you want to call that, right? We all had our moment. Some of us more shameful than others. But whatever it was that you was doing, right, you was doing it. And then Jesus comes and taps you and makes himself known to you. And then instead of me being preoccupied with praying for or trying to share the light of his presence, I'm trying to fix people. I'm going to the family reunion telling folks what they shouldn't drink or smoke. They don't know Jesus, man. They ain't trying to hear you. And what difference does it make if I don't know Jesus what I do? You with me? Now, I know none of y'all do that, but some people out there, when they get saved, they try to fix people. Jesus said, I want to teach you how to fish for people. I'm not in the business of teaching you how to fix people. When you fish, you never clean the fish before you catch them, right? I got any fishermen in the room? Have you ever cleaned any fish you, you didn't catch? No, sir. You catch fish first. Then you clean them. And in our case, it is not our job to clean fish inside of Christ. It is the job of the Spirit of God. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. So I don't have to convict you. I don't spend any time talking to people focusing on their brokenness on where they were. I only focus on my own. And so it's important for us to realize God is in the business of calling all of us. I imagine sitting in this room right now, and I could be wrong, that there's some people struggling with the idea that God wants to use them. What's going through my mind or for you is that some of y'all are sitting there saying, I can't do this, or I'm not like so-and-so, or my past is too messy, or any other reason that we disqualify ourselves. I get it. When I was first asked to speak to the youth in my church in the late 80s, Man, I wasn't feeling that. I had, I had too much stuff in my past for me to be up there trying to be a spokesman for God. You see, in my mind, I disqualified myself even though one of the pastors was asking me to speak. And I couldn't get past my past even though I believed in my theology that I had been forgiven of my past sin. Think about that. I've been forgiven for my past sin, but I can't move forward and do this because my past sin is holding me hostage. My past sin was holding me hostage from getting up, sharing with the young people in the church, and I was still a young person then, but I couldn't do it. 
And although I knew I'd been forgiven, just couldn't escape the thought that somebody would show up in that church and they would see me talking and they was like, man, that rascal, that joker was X, Y, Z and it would be true. But what I had to learn from one of my pastors who took me to lunch, he said, Dana, if God couldn't use people with past sin, he would have nobody to use. Everybody that God speaks through has past sin. It may not all be the same, but everybody that's a spokesman from God got a pass. That lunch was liberating for me, and it led me go on to do what they were asking me to do in that church, and I was talk to the youth in my church. Because he helped me see and understand Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul, after talking about a number of things in his carnal church, came to verse 11, and he said, And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. It reminded me of Mrs. G's words to her students. She said, the person you were before that moment, that person's time is over. Now it's your turn. I'm not who I used to be. So I don't have to get held hostage by former failure. Now, maybe in this service, there's nobody being held hostage by former failure. But I believe there's some saints out there that are unavailable to God to be used because their past is holding them hostage. God wants to deploy every one of us, every one of us, every one of us, just like God called me to do what I've been doing for the last three decades. I, had, I didn't go to college for this. I had no plans to do this. I had no plans when God called me to do this, particularly vocationally. You know what my response was to God? I've been poor. Anybody ever grow up poor? I grew up poor. I was like, oh, I've been poor. I, I don't need to be poor again. I didn't get a college education to be poor. But when God calls you to do something, the question is, do I trust him? I had to come to grips with this and this is the last, well, one of the last verses I want to share with you, Ephesians 2. Paul said, for we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus, catch this again, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word workmanship comes from the Greek word poema, and it means that which is made. What we know to be true is that everything made has a purpose, everything. So if we believe God has made us, the question that every one of us has to ask is, what's my purpose? How does God want to use my life? I want to suggest that scripture says our purpose universally is two things. It's to know God and it's to make him known. In verse 17, chapter 17 of John, the Bible says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing God is private and personal. Making him known is public and purposeful. Early in my faith walk, I didn't know what God wanted to use my life for. I simply took what I loved and was involved in the life of you using it, and I was coaching football. I decided to go down to Cabrini Green housing project, which I had never lived in, and begin to coach 
at the high school that replaced Cooley High for those of us over a certain age. Because I knew that those students and those young men like me would have certain challenges in life, and I wanted to go ahead and use what God had done in my life to influence the lives of other young men. I took what I had, like this teacher, and I used it as a platform to speak into the lives of young men. I didn't know then that God would use that to launch me into vocational ministry. And it was at that point that I had to wrestle with and resolve this question I want you to answer. Is it possible to follow Jesus, but not follow Jesus? Is it possible to follow Jesus, but not follow Jesus? I want to suggest that it is. That it's possible to embrace God's call into relationship while rejecting or resisting his call into service. As I close my time with you, I just want to focus on a final thing I want to share from that scene. Somehow this school teacher created a safe space that made those students open up about where they were, authentic about their brokenness, yet hopeful about their future. It dawned on me that her class had become for these students what God wants for the church. A place people come as they are but don't remain the way they came. The truth be known, everybody in this room has a past, including the person speaking to you. But that's what makes the gospel so unique. The good news that we talk about is good news because we aren't held hostage. This isn't just about where we're going in the future. This is about who I see myself as today. What Mrs. G was doing for them students was changing how they saw themselves today. I ain't what I used to be. It don't matter what I did. Some of us know what it's like to go back to a class reunion. Man, I got some classmates that always remind me about my past. Always. Oh, they want to talk about it. And you know what? I let them talk. I don't even spend time trying to fix that because I'm not who I used to be. I'm not who I used to be. And that's important, that's what makes the gospel powerful. I came to grips with the truth that John 1 says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Beloved, that's what you and I get to represent. But we only get to represent it to people. You know, sharing that with the bookshelf in your office ain't going to change nothing. Sharing that with people who always already know Jesus may help them grow. But it ain't going to change the trajectory of their lives. We need to be in position where we have contact with people who don't know God in the pardon of their sin, that we get to be salt and we get to be light. And we can do that in all kinds of ways. There's no limitation on what you can do. You don't have to be like me and go volunteer at a high school. 
Here's what I will tell you. I am still in contact with those young men that I got to coach going back to the late 80s. One of them comes down every year, and he's in his early 50s. And the reality of the gospel has stepped in his life and changed the trajectory of his life. That's how God wants you and I to be salt, and he wants us to be light. So as we stand to our feet and as I bring this to a close, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Here's a question. Are you available? Is the question of availability something that you've answered to God? Or are you like I was, being held hostage by something? Everybody in this room have abilities. Listen, if I started to attempt to sing like the folks over here to my right, y'all would quickly mute this mic. That is not my ability. But we need them to use their ability so we get to see God through the songs that are sung. Some of you sitting out there have those kind of gifts, but you're not using them. Some of you are musicians. Some of you, like me, absolutely love students that are teens. I love teenagers. I love that part of life for myself. I like spending time with teenagers. So it's easy for me now because I discovered that along the way. But some of you have things you enjoy. You just are not using it to the glory of God. And I would argue, therefore, the church goes lacking. So I want you to be asking yourself the question today. Am I available? And if I'm not in Christ Jesus, you're here today for a reason. You didn't get here by accident. You didn't get here on your own, even though you might have drove yourself. You got here because somehow, someway, God used somebody else in your life to lay the thought and the idea for you to come and be in this place today. I went to church December of 1983 with two guys that I played college football with, and I had already graduated. They kept asking me to go to church. And I was telling them guys, no, man, ain't nobody going to church. Get out of here. Get away from me. I told them that regularly. But they never stopped asking me. And in December of 1983, for whatever reason, God had got me ready. And I went to the church, and I didn't grow up in church, so all this black custom stuff was foreign to me. You know, they ain't hating on the deacons, but all the stuff y'all do in church, when I went, I didn't have no clue what that was, right? It's like, what's that about? But what I understood when the preacher got to the end of the message was that I was a sinner. I knew I was a sinner. I lived overtly in my sin. But I had never heard that that was the reason Jesus died. That floored me, that Jesus died for my sin? I couldn't process that. So on that December Sunday, I saw myself walk down before a church of thousands and invite Jesus into my life, and it changed my life forever. But I was there because God used somebody else to keep laying the ideal of coming. So if you're here today and you have not invited Jesus into your life, I want to invite you to consider right now to invite Jesus to become Lord. The best thing I ever did in my life was discover how much God loved me. There's a lot of things I knew. I knew my mama loved me. You know how it is. Some of us, you know, we got people in your family. I knew my mother loved me. I didn't necessarily know all my siblings loved me. You know how that worked. Uh, but I knew my mama loved me. 
But when I heard what God did with his son Jesus, for me, that was dumbfounding. Because that's the kind of love that I couldn't process. And y'all, I want you to know that's the kind of love that God is extending to you today if you don't know him. And if you are by chance in a discovery of that, I want you to think about how God used somebody else to get you in this space. And if you know Jesus, and you know people that don't know Jesus, by chance, God wants to use you. And so as they minister in song, and you process this, the altar is open. If you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to come up today. I'd love for you to say, this is the moment I want to begin my journey with Jesus. We sang this song earlier, I give myself away. This is a time when we want to talk about being available. So as they minister in song, consider coming. this altar is open for more than just starting your faith journey. There's some things you are wrestling with and some things that God spoke to you in this message that you want to come up and have one of the prayer leaders up here pray with you about. The altar is open. You are welcome to come up here if there's something you want to be praying about. Whether it's that issue or not. And if not, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and be seated. But the altar is open. So if you would go ahead and be seated if you're not feeling God calling you, 
for that, by all means, you can take your seat. God bless you.